This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, which is a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am joined by my co-host, Michael Bowman. I'm Matt, and this show today is brought to you by coffee. And how are you doing tonight, Michael? I'm not drinking coffee, uh, so I just have water. I guess I'm just uh, not very fun like that, but... But that's well, that. This, well, I'm convinced this podcast will be fun because we are being joined uh, by a guest today. We are being joined by Stephen Wolf. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Will you tell uh, us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Yeah. So, well, what, what, what I do, um, I'm uh, <laughs> c- currently uh, actually work for the military, but um and uh, but actually, I have graduate degrees, political science and philosophy. I've written on uh, theology and political theology, philosophy. I also co-host of the Ars Politica podcast. So I want to plug that a little bit. So Ars Politica, uh, um, we talk about kind of like right wing politics, uh, also theology and some other stuff. So that's basically me. Yeah. And that's exactly why we wanted to have you on the show, because we are looking at the movement New Calvinism and its aftermath from lots of different angles. And I think while our show isn't political, uh, it we can't pretend that New Calvinism doesn't have very clear political uh, portions to the movement. Right, Michael? Would you, what would you say about that? Yeah, so we actually recently... Uh, when we're recording this anyway, had an episode release where we were talking, we, we interviewed uh, an academic scholar, sociologist uh, who wrote the book, Reform Resurgence, uh, and all about the new Calvinism. And uh, we released an episode where we were kind of reacting to this. And one of the things we've talked about is how uh, early on in the new Calvinism, there was this, this desire by many uh, you know young evangelicals to leave behind the old religious right. We don't want to be in this position where, you know, uh, our, our beliefs are, you know, uh, so intricately tied to being part of the Republican Party. And it feels a little bit like uh, how we felt, like uh, all that's really happened, uh, at least within the New Calvinist movement, is not as much a change of the way that evangelicalism was tied to politics, but just the figures are different. So instead of, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Pat Robertson or someone like that, we now have a Russell Moore. And so the, the, the politics is different, but the way that these things are connected and relate to each other doesn't seem to have really changed. And so we were kind of bemoaning that fact. And so it's great uh, to have somebody who's maybe thought about this a little bit deeper than we have and uh, it, we're very much looking forward to getting your take on some of that. Yeah, let me let me just I'll jump off where our conversation that conversation left is. So there was this kind of promise inherent that you know we're not just going to have baptized Republican politics anymore. You know, there's going to be this kind of I don't know what you would want to call it, some kind of uniquely Christian idea, and these you know new leaders kind of replace. Um, the moral majority leaders in evangelicalism. And Michael and I kind of were left wondering in our conversation, I don't know that they're doing any better 
in in doing Christian political theology. Stephen, what would you uh, what would you say about this topic? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot to say, but uh, and, and where to start? Um, I, I'd say one thing is that that most evangel I call them evangelical elites, so we can get in that get into that a little bit later. But but I think that that they don't really even have a political theology, or if mm. they do, they they don't actually use it publicly. They, they don't apply it consistently. They don't they don't publicly they don't let it work out um, and and explain their their choices who they criticize why they criticize who they praise when, when they stay silent um, and I think what what they what, what the evangelical elite um, have done is I think they've implemented a sort of program they have a program I usually say it's a, a program of moral witness but it's a hmm. program in the sense that that it's trying to socialize you into a way ways of thinking but also just ways of reacting so someone some republican does or says this you're supposed to complain and and public and say something on twitter and react to it in very in, in very particular ways um but if a democrat or a liberal or a leftist does something similar or the opposite and just as bad something worthy of being blamed or um, condemned that you don't say anything or, or you, you, you talk about it in different ways. So one, one way on if, uh, criticizing the right, it's, very, it, it's usually criticism of very specific um, things and people and events or, or situations. Um, but when the left does something that is bad, uh, it's usually talked in terms of the brokenness of, of the world, brokenness of humanity. So it spreads out it spreads out the blame. So somehow it touches upon us as well because we're broken. And, and so, but where the right, it's like, no, explicitly, this is bad. So there's just, there's just ways, and that's just an example of uh, this a program, this idea of socializing you into how you react, when to react. Um, and usually they, they kind of are the cue, they cue you into it through Twitter. I mean, one, one class example, Russell Moore was kind of beat up about this rightly. Um, where he he condemned he went all out, he went all out against the the capital rushing the uh, on right. the floor of the capital and uh, but he he was silent to my knowledge silent about all the all the violence during during last summer with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all that and that's just a very good example of how they pick and choose what they're going to criticize what they're going to react to and you and they they kind of cue their followers into this reaction and then they get praised for being such great witnesses. Um, and so there's just this, uh, I think, again, it's a socialization. Um, and that, that's just one issue. We, we could say a lot more, but. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I think that is a phenomenon everyone listening is familiar with. Let me play a little bit of the devil's advocate. They would say, right, well, I'm just holding my own side to a, to a higher standard, right? I think that's how they would defend themselves. How would you respond to that kind of a, this kind of, uh, response yeah so that, that that there's something uh good in that of course you want to keep your own side uh one of the issues though is that if you're going to say for an entire election year that's okay to vote for democrats and liberals and for uh abortionists or whatever it's okay to vote for them well if that's the case then criticizing the left is criticizing your own side right i mean yeah. there's plenty of people that's true 
that they that there's plenty of people on their side or there's plenty of evangelicals that they're friends with and have platformed who have openly said they 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 voted for Biden and they and, and support left wing causes so if that's the case then well attacking the left is attacking your own side i think also the way that they attack the right is in ways that uh, empower the left uh, hmm. and and also uh, but more specifically stifle uh, the the evangelicals from from acting from from being political or you could say redirecting them to support whatever the left uh, also supports um, but but it's it's in this it's uh, in a sense despiriting so we we get spear we we get kind of um, uh, excited about uh, certain political principles and, and uh, policies that we agree with and we can uh, kind of assert those publicly and and be very kind of you know just very assertive. But if, uh, if, but a lot of the criticism that these guys will place upon the right or evangelical right or whatever you want to call them, uh, end up actually stifling that spirit to 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 be political. Hmm. Uh, and so th- there's a there's like this twin action of it's it's kind of despiriting for causes that are uniquely evangelical and right wing. Where at the same time being silent or supporting this, the things that the left support, uh, and, and also doing them in very naive ways, uh, you know. So the the idea that it's just about Confederate statues and not about eliminating all of American history, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the that sort of thing, where you, in a very naive sense you you have us redirect our energy toward these things in a naive way to the left, while also kind of stifling that that spirit from the right. So. Yeah, I think the other thing with this that, you know, if their audience is, is Christians, right, and you're going to spend all of this time criticizing the right saying, you know, it might be, it might be sinful for you to vote for certain politicians on the right, and you go this direction, even, even if you are supposedly not on the left, the general consensus would be that generally because of issues like abortion, right? Like the gender issues, right? Like, like most of the 10 commandment issues, I'm going to generally support politicians on the right. Sorry, if I tip my hand, Michael. Um, (laughs) If you then say, well, it's probably sinful to vote for those people. There's only really one effect this can have on me, right? As a, as an, a a right leaning evangelical. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet at the same time, they, they were silent when people wanted to vote for people on the, on the left. Is, right. So that, but that, that just goes back to, again, it's, just, it's, a, it's a kind of a program. Sure. Um, and and it's, it's really, it, I, the, the way I understand it, as, as they are evangelical elites, um, and by, by elite, I mean that they are part of kind of the elite class of society. They're just the evangelical wing of the elites broadly in society. And so what, what is it? What's the background assumptions? What's the, the background, I guess uh, you could say their, their station or their, their role, better put, their role in society? Well, as evangelical elites, um, they tailor their, their program or the way they socialize and how to react based upon what is what will nullify evangelicals as a threat to the ruling class. Mm-hmm. So if you think, if you, if, you, if, if you just look at it from that perspective, everything kind of makes sense. Everything kind of makes sense why they, they act in certain ways, why they expect you to, to um, react in these ways. Well, 
if you are perceived to be a threat to the ruling class, which is a left left wing dominated ruling class, or you can kind of say like a, a liberal left, and they're not true leftists, but kind of this liberal left ruling class, um, then in order to be a moral witness to these people, you can't be this assertive, threatening guy who wants, you know, uh, uh, who wants to implement your morality um, and and uh, and and let alone kind of support your own kind of specific evangelical causes, uh, like like uh, the the ability to um, uh, to the ability to, to uh, explicitly advocate policies that, that that will benefit evangelicals as a group or Christians as a group. Instead of doing all that, they they focus upon having you uh, be non-assertive in those areas, but assertive in the ways that they like, uh, that the left likes. And that means that you do not vote for someone like Donald Trump. You do not support someone like Donald Trump. You don't support people on the right um, who are explicitly trying to combat and, and be assertive against the left. Um, but it's okay. So that means you have to kind of retreat from that side and you have to support like the American Solidarity Party or something like that, or these other kind of squishy candidates like a Ben Sass, um, you know, wh where, they're, where they're really kind of, they talk a lot about principles, universal principles, but they're just naive and get run over. Um, so you have to, and that's all, so really it's okay for you to support those people because those people are not threats. They're not threatening. Uh, it, it's okay for, for, for you to support the, the, those kind of politicians or those leaders. Uh, and like a Mitt Romney is becoming more popular now as well. Uh, and so, the, the, and again, the whole principle, the principle behind it is we need to, we need to have a certain posture a certain moral witness to the world that that de that makes that nullifies us as a threat, and I think also makes us, like I said before, so, uh, naively support uh, the, the the left. So that this is why, for like the this this is why we we should not directly criticize Black Lives the Black Lives Matter um, and their narrative history or anything like that. Um, we, but we can definitely make a big deal about a bunch of, you know, uh, Christian, Christian, Christian shaman or whatever, whatever yeah. stormed the Capitol, make that the worst thing that ever happened and, and buy into that narrative uh, and while being silent by BLM. It's just, it's all about this, this, this Anabaptist, this like Neo Anabaptist uh, type of moral witness program. Uh, that really, I, I don't think, uh, is consistent with the, the Reformed tradition, political theology, and the ability to actually assert yourself in politics and try to change and actually be combative, um, fight the people and not, don't be naive, uh, actually struggle for your own policies, um, and, and treat Christians as a group that is worthy of being specifically advocated for. So you don't have to talk about universality, all this other. But anyway, um, so yeah, again, I think I can think as evangelical elites, they are trying to make sure that you, we as a group, are not threatening, uh, and that's part of how they think they're going to win them over. <laughs> it's really interesting that one of the things the um, reformed resurgence, the argument he makes in that book is that these new leaders, whether it be Russell Moore, all these new evangelical elites who are, have this general reformed flavor you know, placed themselves in gatekeeper roles, right? Yep. Placed themselves mm -hmm. in these elite roles. And he said that was largely the result of 
what what was the result of the reform of surgeons? Michael, I have a bunch of questions. Do you want to do you want to ask something specific before we keep going? Yeah, no, this is really fascinating and really interesting to me. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I've seen you post about online in this regard is within this program, this kind of uh, moral performativity that has to be done online with regard to you know certain events or, or certain things that happen. Um, I was thinking, I've seen this a lot from progressive leaning friends of mine online, you know, who will say stuff like, you know, if you've ever posted something against you know, homosexuality, for instance, but you're silent when it comes out that Ravi Zacharias is, uh, you know, a sexual deviant, then there's like, there's something wrong with you. Like that's like, that's a, a problem with you. Right. Um, and so like, if you ever condemn anything, then you have to now be in a place where you have to condemn everything. If you're on the right, uh, if you are more conservative, uh, obviously that doesn't, you know, apply to us though, uh, who are telling you this, uh, because obviously they don't condemn every thing, although they do seem to follow a very standard program of, you know, what is it that we can all collectively, you know, air our grievances about, and, uh, it becomes some kind of large hashtag or something like that. But I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit more about, uh, kind of the online moral performativity that goes on, uh, through these different, uh, you know, new Calvinists or, you know, what, whatever they are now, the kind of, uh, you know, TGC crowd and what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's that these guys tend to see credibility, uh, moral credibility as the, the central, their central argument, or it, it's essential to anything that, that they say. And that doesn't matter if it's, uh, uh, just straight up proposition that can be true or false uh, or, or a logical argument. Um, even if you, you, you could do, you could, you know, give a, a syllogism that is perfectly valid. Um, and so, and, but because you lack the moral credibility because, you know, you condemn this, but not that, therefore you can't, you can't assert it. They don't explicitly say that, but that's th that after observing these guys for a number of years, that's what I think that that's what I see is everything is a matter so that's of this actually, uh, was it, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of who it was, Jonathan Lehman, one of his arguments for not uh, reopening churches uh, at a certain point. I don't remember when this was in the whole uh, when you should or shouldn't reopen churches debate. Uh, but one of Jonathan Lehman uh, of, you know, Nymark's Capitol Hill Baptist Church, I think is where he's at, or, you know, he's in DC, I think, writes a lot about politics. But one of his arguments was that, you know, you don't want to waste your cultural capital as an evangelical church on, you know, reopening at the wrong time or something like that. And one of the things that he was challenged on because of that, I remember online is uh, at the same time he was saying that he was also marching with Black Lives Matter uh, at different times. Uh, and so yeah. there was this kind of like weird, like, well, you can do that, but you can't open a church and like, what is, you know, but that makes a lot of sense in the system that you're laying out. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think in, <laughs> In the case, case for me, the idea of social capital—that's kind of a, I think, a separate. Uh, we could talk. There's, there's more to say on that. I'll just briefly say that for social capital, that assumes there is, there is such a thing, or th that we have social capital. Um, uh, that, that is, I think, kind of delusional. Uh, social capital meaning that people who are not uh, us, or pe people that are non, non Christian or non evangelical, have some sort of that we have social capital that we can kind of cash in at certain points. Uh, I, I do wonder, even if we do have that, 
um, when we could, what, what would they choose to actually, when would they choose to cash the in time. on it? That's specifically, because yeah. right. everything for them is that you notice their, their rhetoric kind of get away from moral performed interview, but if um, you notice their, their rhetoric, everything that, that they say that is in, that is in support of something evangelical, let's say of religious liberty, everything goes back to the, to reference to all of humanity or helps everyone. It's universal. Yeah. There's never, ever an argument where they'll just say, this is good for the Christian church. Yeah. And they'll leave it at that. Um, they always have the reference to, well, well, if, if you, if you stop religious liberty and, and this, and you know, uh, then it, then it affects religious liberty for everyone, which is of course not, not the case. We all know that, that the ruling class is willing to it, to attack specifically Christian beliefs um, or, or just Christians, even if they're, they are actually shared by non, some non-Christian groups, but they'll never actually go after the non-Christian groups to take like Muslims. They'll never a- ever go after some, something specific that Muslims uh, hold because of religious liberty. They will. Anyway, I, I just don't think that we, uh, we don't have the, we don't have uh, social or social capital in the first place. And also, the, the rhetoric we use, that's just another problem. We should, mm-hmm. as Christians, say what is good for the Christian church, and, and that is, should be part of our, our political uh, program. But it, so with, with uh, another thing with moral performativity and, and this idea of credibility is, yeah, it, it makes it so when I say moral performativity, what I mean is that, that they have to either, this comes very natural to them, which is maybe one of the gifts why they become an elite. Um, or, or it's very deliberate, but they they do these things on Twitter where they just kind of pick and choose what they're going to what they're going to condemn, and it's got. I, I sometimes I think it's got to be exhausting to think to try to figure out what what do I condemn today out of the hundred things that I can condemn, and what can I praise, and I and I think because there's so many different choices for you to every day to pick and choose and what you're going to praise and blame that, that what people do choose actually reveals something of, you can then kind of infer um, what, what their, what's, what their background assumptions are. Uh, but this moral performativity, if you interpret that, like I've said before, it, it's this idea of nullifying you as a threat to the ruling class, but, but it's also a, a sort of performance. It's the idea of when I have enough credibility Somehow, if I if I if I condemn this, then I will build up my my credibility so that when I assert things, people will listen, and they'll believe that I'm right. Uh, and and what this has led to in their in their rhetoric is that they don't they often don't actually in their articles they actually often don't make arguments. They don't make normal like uh, you could say traditional classical arguments where they try to have some sort of uh, propositions that together form a conclusion, or they have uh, inductive reasoning, or they show examples, and and it leads to a conclusion. They don't do any of that, or they don't do much of that, because in the end, what backs their actual conclusions is this credibility from their moral performativity. And so I think this it goes all the way back. So you read an article and you just like on politics or whatever it is, and you're shaking your head like, how did this? Per- why why does this person who has a PhD and maybe a seminary prof- uh, professor or a college or uh, uh, a seminary um, president, why would he make such a, a like a garbage article like this? And that's because well, he doesn't have to make an argument. He doesn't have to actually make a clear, sound, valid argument. He just, it's all backed by his own credibility 
that he's developed over his public presence and small performativity. And so it's all kind of, it's all connected. And th that I think is just, this might be dynamics of the online world or modern world or whatever it is, but I think that that is, that helps us kind of understand, uh, kind of interpret what they're up to. When I describe often, whether it's Christian or not at this point, the arguments used online for something is, I, I often just say, oh yeah, yeah, I get it you're a good person, don't be a monster, right? Like is the, <laughs> is the like essential, you know, if you bring it down to what it's arguing. Um, so if, you know, they're in this elite class, you know, I think they're seeing uh, the Western culture, you know, go pretty hard secular. I mean, is this all being done out of a desire to, I hate the phrase seat at a table, but I know they, I know they use it, but right keep Christian Christianity in some case in the public square so that they can, so there can be a witness. So their institutions aren't attacked. Right. Is, is that the, I, I mean, maybe we can't talk about motives, you know, because probably there are some better and worse ones, but is that kind of the idea behind this? Uh, that, that's a good question. Uh, I, I try, I almost kind of avoid the motivation argument. Yeah, uh, probably and, good. And, and not, not, I'm not saying it for moral reasons. Um, <laughs> I'm saying because I don't think you have to go there. Uh, okay. th and this might be, uh, I mean, I guess people could say that my, well, my reasoning is speculative, but the, I think that, that they are, that they, that their, their, their mind uh, has been, that it's basically, it's sort of a psychological thing. And it just feels uncomfortable for them to see Christians being assertive and assert their own Christian um, uh, interests. Uh, and it, 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 that is, that causes discomfort and it's more comforting or you could say maybe comforting. I could say that there's more cognitive tranquility. Let's put it that way in, in doing, in, in following this kind of this program as i've described so i i think it, it's more than that it's also just it, it's a, it's a sort of role that that they've that they've found themselves in and the people who are the people who are successful in, the, in elite evangelicalism that they they follow that same pattern that they they fit this pattern of, of people who who kind of in other words they, they get with the program uh and so it's it's not it's not simply motivation it's just simply that they can't conceive or somehow that they are that they're they're blocked by sort of discomfort psychological kind of um discomfort from doing this or that and 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 saying this or that so it's just for example i mean they they can't they they are practically incapable of criticizing anyone who's who's non-white i don't want to get all racialist here but it's just the case that that they that they feel uncomfortable Sure. Just as it is uncomfortable for us to even talk about this idea, <laughs> yeah. that they feel uncomfortable about that, and so they don't do it. Hmm. Um, and and that's just one example of all sorts of things. And so what happens is when you have psychological discomfort in that fashion, you tend to act and, and react in a certain a certain way. And that's just a matter of socialization. That's what I mean by socialization. That it's, it becomes habits of response. Um, that that one feels right and the other feels wrong, and that's just where you go. It, it also sounds like they're elites that don't exactly have the base they want. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that is one of the ironies, right? Is that you think of, especially when they're Baptists, because Baptist is all about the, the democratic man, the Baptist is this, 
this uh, the working class who uh, you know it's so but, but at the same time the the Baptist elites are all basically Anglican aristocracy <laughs> so whatever you want, whatever you want to call it it's the, the they're appointed by uh, the the king uh, the ruling class no um, but yeah, yeah. they um, but 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 that's yeah fascinating. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's the thing about the the yeah the the, the elites is they're they're basically self appointed self justifying. Uh, that, that's not true for all of them. There, there's a few few guys I, I, I do like, um, and I, I think are deserve deserve their position, uh, and, and should be teaching pastors and others, but or future pastors. But but generally speaking, yeah, I think it, it's uh, especially in, in the Baptist world. Strangely, they're, they're appointed from kind of a minority class hmm. to serve the minority interests, and and they don't like the majority. That's just simply a case. I mean, I, I didn't listen to J.D. Greer's latest speech um but he seemed to imply that there's a whole lot of racists everywhere closet racists all across the sbc and uh, colin hansen from tgc said that i think in 20 maybe it was early 2017 after trump was elected he was interviewed by i think like an abc um like a host it was like an extended interview uh so and, and he and he basically said that that there is with the within evangelicals it was a shock to people like him and now he knows for sure that there's like widespread racism hmm. across all of evangelicalism because they voted for Trump. And I think that interview is still available as well. It was really interesting because it was so much of a, like, here's this, I think he's Baptist, right? Here's this Baptist guy uh, who, who's in this position of uh, some a sort of authority or leadership, and yet he's attacking the vast majority of, of people. But um, I mean, there's a, there's a place for that. But it, it, there is some irony uh, in that fact that the elites are not, grassroots they're not they don't come from the grass like the, they don't come from the bottom up that it's more like a the powerful yeah. point them <laughs> let me let me ask you one about one thing you said that i think is important that our listener might not have followed is you said the kind of predominant kind of political posture they take is neo-anabaptist which is out of step with the reform tradition what is what is this kind of what does that mean what is the neo-anabaptist um, perspective on on political engagement. Yeah, I, I say it's it's neo-Anabaptist. Uh, and so I don't mean Anabaptist as in the separatists. I, I mean, a, sort of a, a neo-Anabaptist where they uh, kind of attack political power. They're afraid of political power. Not, not only afraid, but they say that Christians should not have it um, or, or seek it. Uh, and so they, they straight, they, they they, they reject power entirely. And of course, in the classical Protestant tradition, a Christian having powers uh, or Christians having powers, certainly, uh, certainly legitimate. Um, and they, and they should, their principal end for that is to guard and protect the church um, and Christians. And so that's explicitly Christian, but in the, in the very Anabaptist kind of uh, also, I guess you could say it's also in the Baptist tradition somewhat, but uh, this emphasis, this, this, uh, this idea that, that we should not actually seek after power. Uh, within the Baptist, I mean, the Baptist tradition, like Roger Williams, he, he would have, he would say that the civil magistrate can't come to the aid of a religion, but he can still actually implement peace. So in, in principle, a Christian could occupy, uh, could have, could have power. Um, but the more Anabaptist wing, which I think is something that, that we see in evangelical lead now, uh, is, is this fear of it, that the moment you have it, um, you have to, you, you or you, the moment, or really, the moment you have it, you almost have to apologize for having it. 
Uh, and, and the moment you have it, uh, Thomas on, on a Thomas Acord, the, my co-host on our, our, our blog, we often kind of wonder what if, what if we found ourselves in a community where we're all Christians? I mean, just and, and not just a, a church, but a community that's large enough where we can kind of constitute as a civil, uh, civil community as a, uh, and constitute civil government. What do you do then? And if you kind of do go through that thought experiment, these these guys in that situation, they would almost feel compelled. So they would be psychologically uncomfortable, and they would it would almost like they would they would uh, destroy it. And but if they did have power, if they did have a lot of power, what would they do? Well, we we must do things that what which would in the end destroy it. So we'd bring in a whole bunch of you know non Christians, immigrate and, and share the love, and of course that would implode uh, at least the Christian Christianness of the of the area. So I mean. Even if, so they're afraid of power, but then if they had power, they wouldn't use it to actually sustain a Christian community and protect the church, but they universalize it into the sense where it's just basically human, uh, which, you know, it's not wrong in principle, but, uh, but, but in the end, it, the, all of power becomes this, this pure means of, of, uh, of moral of this of this moral witness, hmm. Stephen. Before we discuss our second topic, I just want to throw out uh, some of the what I'm realizing as I read these list of objections I have for Christians talking politically or getting involved politically is almost all of them are just meant to neutralize me. Right? They aren't a real argument. But I just want to give you a chance to quick respond to a few of these that probably our listeners here, if they've ever tried to engage in these things. So the first one would be, you know. Christians in politics, that's just idolatry of political power or country. Idolatry of country. <laughs> that, yeah, the, well, the idolatry thing is whatever. It's, it's, a lot, it's a lot like the term fascism. It's, it, it is whatever I don't like, you know, is idolatry. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting what, what, is, what is considered idolatry because uh, uh, you, you voting for people who you think are going to uh, secure your your rights, um, secure your liberty, and secure your, your peace for your family and your and your children's children. All that, uh, that's idolatry, you know. But but the, the moment uh, a shaman uh, raids the Capitol Hill, so suddenly it becomes a sacred space that's been violated, and you have to explode on Twitter about it for two months. Oh. And and that's not idolatry at all. Um, it, again, again, it all makes sense if you just go back to what I said earlier. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> yeah, despite yeah, but, the fact that Paul says we should actively seek to live peaceful, right? Do things to live a peaceful and quiet life, right? right. Like, and pray for the king so that he would give us peace, so that the gospel can go forth. Yeah. So yeah. here's here's another one. Jesus isn't left or right. <laughs> well, the, the worst one is where someone says Jesus is not a Republican. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, Sorry. That's... That, that's the worst one. I left or right. I mean, um, but, the, but yeah, the, <laughs> of, well, of course he's not. Republican or Democrat, he's not registered to vote. Um, and the ridiculous thing about that, again, I mean, I know what the point is. That see, you you can attack the the statement, or you can or you can try to critique what what they're up to. When someone says something like that, what they mean is that the is okay to vote for Democrats. That's really what they mean. And people point right. that out on Twitter. So th this is just, I think that you don't want to play their game because their game is that. They know you're just going to say, "Oh well, he's not a Democrat either," or something like that. But you really have to critique what they're what they're up to. And, and with that, again, it's trying to kind of broaden the the, um, the 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 choices you can make. 
Um, and, and again, I'll just repeal this to last time. If it's okay to vote for Democrats, then it's time for you all to start criticizing them as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and, no. and uh, not just the right. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I think it. I think it is so true that in all of these statements, right? It might be on its face a true statement, but there isn't. An, why are you telling me that right now? Right? There's, <laughs> there's, you're doing something with it. Right? Look, I've not, I've not personally met anybody that would say Jesus was a Republican or you know something <laughs> yeah. like that, right? Like obviously. Well, they, I've not yeah, so person. it's it, this is really important. So it, it's they will assert things that are true that are, that everyone believes to be true, uh, that no one would deny, but by saying it, they're they're implying that that these yeah. that you or this 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 group of people that everyone kind of knows uh, d- does deny it. So you know, th- so if someone says Jesus is not a Republican, we'd say yeah, I affirm that statement. Um, you could say that, but, or you don't really want to, you don't really want to deny and say he is a Republican. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, he, he, that, that, that they're really just implying something else with that one, but to get on the theology of that, to actually respond to that, um, to participate in a, in a political party and, and to think that this party is collectively better for you than the other party is not, not idolatry, or it's not saying that Jesus is a Republican or that it's not baptized in the Republican party. It's simply saying that I operate within the, the Republican party because I think that it's this coalition of different people that I can influence for the policies I think are, are, are right. And, and, uh, and I guess you could take it into idolatrous area, but if I'm going to be, probably I'll be a Republican my entire, well, I don't know. Things are kind of are changing nowadays, but I used to think that I'd be a Republican my entire life. Um, and that wasn't out of idolatry is just because I thought that was the best party for what I believe. I mean, you, if you believe the majority of the Republican party platform, then why wouldn't you be a Republican? And if you disagree with that, well, you participate in the party politics to try to disagree with this or that in order to remove that, this or that from the platform. So really it's actually thinking the worst of your, of your, of the majority of evangelicals, like we talked before, um, when they could just actually think the best, which would be, Hey, maybe this is just the best party available. (laughs) Well, I've heard maybe you should be a registered Democrat so you can influence their primaries in certain oh, yeah. places. But uh, before we go on to our second topic, the other day you tweeted, I think you said this is basically my political theology, which is Christianity is not mainly about politics, but Christian politics is good and a necessary consequence of Christianity. Do you just want to expand on that? And then we'll uh, go to our next uh, that'll take a whole book. Um, okay, well, then yeah, we so won't the, make you. The, but the first part, uh, the first part, yeah, Christianity is mainly not about politics. What, what, what I mean is that that the gospel is not, is mainly about, to put it positively, the, the gospel is mainly about eternal life. Uh, it's about restoring uh, righteousness and, and, and reconciling you before God and, and, and in some sense bringing you back to what the original intent um, of the garden, which was to that, that Adam and his progeny would, would eventually uh, inherit or um, not merit. I want to be precise, but usually uh, or eventually kind of achieve uh, eternal life. And so Christ actually restored our ultimate end, which would be something heavenly and above, uh, in, in a sense, above, above nature. But anyway, that, that, that means that the, that's, that the gospel is not really about uh, politics, so it has, but it has, a, has consequences for politics. And, and for Christian politics, uh, and that, that means that for Christian politics, it means that 
that it's okay to have a Christian culture. It's okay to have a civil government that, that explicitly wants to protect and secure the good operations of the church um, and, you know, peace, security, tranquility of the church. Um, and, and other aspects that, that Christians, that other people should know, uh, but uh, should know to be good and moral, but, but Christians know um, through, through scripture and, and grace. So such as abortion, gay marriage, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that would be a sort of Christian politics, even though it should be human politics, um, because it's a matter of justice and natural, natural duty. But that's, I guess, I guess that's a short version. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Stephen Wolf. Make sure you guys join us next week for the second part of this interview, where he explains the theology of the two kingdoms, which is so important for Reformed political theology. Also, here's a big favor you could do for us. Leave us a comment or question on our Facebook, or send us a message, or email us at restlesspodcasting at gmail.com because we are doing a feedback show and we would love to answer more of your questions and engage with you more. So make sure you come back next week and we'll talk to you later.